This episode is sponsored by Unpacked's new podcast, Homeland. Ten stories, one Israel. All right, picture this, guys. Israel, 2022. A crowded bus breaks down on the side of a desert highway. Who's sitting next to you, and what secret will they reveal? The newest podcast from Unpacked, Homeland, 10 Stories, One Israel, will keep you on the edge of your seat as each passenger's story unfolds. Meet the Russian immigrant who escaped the Soviet Union and the Jerusalem native whose family traces back over 400 years. Each week, you'll meet a new character whose story will take you for a ride. So get on the bus, grab a window seat, and settle in for Homeland, 10 Stories, One Israel, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, before we get into the episode, we just want to talk a bit about how you can support the show. That's right. We recently opened a brand new Patreon account, and this is your opportunity to help and support the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We have a tier for every pocket. So whatever you can spare, uh, you can help us out. And if you can't spare, we also appreciate. Keep listening, keep tuning in. But if but you, you have should. a few, yeah, if you have, if you got a few shekels lying around, you might throw them our way. Um, we really appreciate it. It would help us keep, you know, doing what we're doing every week and putting out content. And you'll get amazing perks, amazing prices and bonuses. So if you can spare it, go to patreon.com slash 2NJB. Every sum helps and you can support the show. So thank you so much, guys. Thank you. What would you do if you had two and a half million dollars to invest in scientific research? Would you search for a cure for Alzheimer's, cancer, MS? Would you try to send the first man to Mars? Or would you attempt to create the perfect TikTok video? These are the questions that faced Professor Ido Kaminer from the Technion. Well, maybe not the last one, but <laughs> Professor Kaminer applied for the prestigious Polymath Award, given each year by Eric Schmidt, former CEO of Google. The rules are simple. Submit a research proposal in a field that you've never explored. In other words, the applicants are requested to leave their comfort zones, think outside of the box, and come up with an innovative idea that's worth the money. Two and a half million dollars. Professor Kaminer was recently notified that he was awarded the prize. Now he faces probably the greatest challenge of his career, trying to explain to us simpletons what in the world his research is about. Professor Ido Kaminer is a physics professor. He studies quantum mechanics, and he's the first Israeli to have gotten awarded the Adolf Lom Medal, which is awarded since 1940 to a person who has made a noteworthy contribution to optics at an early age. It is an honor to be joined today by Professor Ido Kaminer. Thank you so Hello, much for joining. Hello, from Haifa. Uh, hi, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> you came all the way Dude. from Haifa today. Yeah. Yeah. To um, to explain to us something that we're not going to understand. No, probably not. <laughs> going to Mars is okay. I would have done that if it. I mean, two two and a half million dollars is a little bit of too it's little. It's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Elon is get, on the on the on the job. You so. can barely get off the ground with two and a half million. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not the scale that's, yeah. that you need. But that's a worthy goal. Yeah. That's but a, the perfect TikTok one. video. I mean, their algorithm's pretty tough to beat. So if you could come up with that, I think that would be that's pretty a, breakthrough. I. Yep, I guess it's a good challenge, but I don't know. I don't know how you know, long-term valuable. <laughs> He's a boomer. He, he uh, he'll yeah. fail. He doesn't appreciate it. <laughs> so, where do we start from? So, so, y- what is quantum mechanics? What is quantum mechanics? 
Well, it's uh, the best way we know of today to explain the world. And it's, I think, a pretty wonderful uh, way of thinking about things. Uh, and it, it's kind of an unfair question because there are many good physicists that uh, said over the years that if you really claim to understand it, it means you're, you don't really. Mm -hmm. um, and because, but there, because there are, to this day, you know, I teach it every semester now, and I'm, I'm still every time struggling, even the first lecture, with things that we don't really understand all the way through. Um, but but it, it, it works. And it can but sometimes is it a theory you. or is it reality? So quantum mechanics is a set of axioms, or we call them postulates, to uh, that every theory that you build and that uh, satisfies those postulates, we will call that a quantum theory. And there are several different theories that describe, for example, how I don't know, light gets absorbed in materials. Right? That's a certain quantum theory that requires quantum mechanics to explain it properly. Um, but there are other theories that use quantum mechanics in other areas, like to explain experiments in CERN. Um, those are high-energy particles colliding with one another. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another type of quantum theory, a more advanced one, that will also go by the same postulates. Is, is this a sort of evolution of Einstein's theories, or is, is it completely irrelevant, or am I just completely revealing my ignorance about everything that has to do with physics? Like, is this somehow related to... To Einstein. It is related to Einstein. Okay. But what we, when we say Einstein's theory today, we think about gravity, normally, about gravitational fields and about how, how gravity in large scales uh, work, while we're... And it is true that around the same years, Einstein also worked on contributions to quantum mechanics that he later uh, came to, let's say, despise or try to modify, try to correct. So uh, uh, quantum mechanics today isn't considered Einstein's theory, even okay. though he contributed to it. Because I, one of the things that I always thought I knew about Einstein is something about the way light propagates in waves or particles. Or I mean, is that not, that doesn't yeah, relate? It is part of it. Oh, yeah. okay. The idea that every particle is, it's both like we think about it in two ways at once mm -hmm. is uh, one of those peculiar things like it's a particle and a wave is really uh, like a large part of it is due to Einstein. Mm. There was an experiment called uh, the photoelectric effect where light got absorbed in some piece of metal and caused uh, electrons to fly out to get uh, emitted from the metal. And then those electrons were pulled by some, some field, by some uh, electric voltage, electric uh, uh, pull to them and then that experiment was really unexplained until Einstein came with a theory that explained light as a, as a particle which was kind of a, this back and forth com competition of how do we think about light properly and he helped form how we think about it today which is as a kind of combined creature that is both a particle and a wave and is there a dispute over the quantum mechanics or like is there a are there scientists who oppose it in any way or is it in complete consensus well, I would say two levels. It works. Whenever we come to calculate something, it, it works. Uh, Feynman called it uh, shut up and calculate. And that was uh, a good theme, the way by which uh, quantum mechanics was, was applied and still is. Um, some scientists say that it is incomplete mm -hmm. in a sense that the way we, we, you know, we can calculate it, but it doesn't mean we understand things fully. And now I don't think there is anyone in the mainstream that claims that there is anything wrong in quantum mechanics, mm -hmm. but there may be, and that's a debate and that's interesting, maybe there is something more to discover. Whether we understand everything about it or there is still something more to find out, that, that's an interesting question. But what does it mean, shut up and calculate? Meaning if you, you can create some kind of predictive 
experiment like you can say given this this will happen and the calculations work but we don't necessarily understand why they work yeah exactly it's uh you you have a theory to calculate anything that you need but it doesn't mean you understand it fully and that's part of the what that's makes scary it. how did we arrive at it if we don't <laughs> understand it did someone just be like you know what multiply that by two yeah that, that should be it and, there, then, and then it worked right there, like, oh, wow <laughs> yeah there, there is i mean we, we think about it in what do we, you need to know if you know the state of the system right now you know how to describe the world at this moment you want to know how it will look like in a couple of seconds right this is called the evolution of the quantum state how to describe how it evolves in time how the world would look like in a couple of, of seconds let's say and there is a, a rule for that but there are kind of two rules for that there is the rule of how it evolves properly when you don't look at it and then there is the rule of how it evolves when you do look at it right and that's a, a peculiar thing Everyone is bringing the, the, the Schrodinger cat, right? It's a, it's a cat in a box. There is some process inside that may cause the cat to, to get poisoned and die. And then you're, and that, you don't know whether, whether the process happened or not. It's, it's happening randomly by some quantum process. So it can happen and not happen at the same time. And then it, the cat is supposedly dead and alive at the same time. And that's what the theory predicts. But then there is another part of the theory, what we call the collapse of the wave function, which is telling you what happens once you look at it. And it's annoying because you should... But why is our look a factor? Yeah, that's exactly what bothers people, right? We, we know when we look, so we can calculate it, right? But it is a factor. And that people would like to have a theory that is in some sense cleaner, maybe more understandable, where you don't need to put us as the observers as part of the theory. And that's, uh, I agree with, you know, the general feeling that there would, could have been a nicer theory and there are many candidates to that. But today, all of those different candidates they do not really matter in the sense that they predict something different. And I have two questions. <laughs> it's, it's so... Really? I've ne- yeah, I came up <laughs> Only with two. Only two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then um, I got it. I got two questions and then I got it. I have many questions, <laughs> but until I say them, do they exist even? <laughs> They both exist and don't exist. Exactly. <laughs> um, so first, yeah. is there like practical uses? You can give an example in our everyday lives that quantum mechanics affect our, our, our lives. And the second, if, if, if the rules um, explain everything in, in, our, in, in space and time, basically. So I would say on quantum mechanics matters to us. That does it and where? So, I mean... It matters to us in, in, in many ways today. First, we, we already live by devices that operate thanks to discoveries that were made in quantum mechanics. For example? Metal like silicon that is part of every computer today. Yeah. The um, transistors. The, the chips, the, you the mean? The chips inside mm-hmm. actually rely on, on a lot of complex, on complex dynamics of electrons and holes and what happens in, in transistors, which are all due to the evolution of understanding that started and built on quantum mechanics. And, and that is today considered old, old, an old story, right? Uh, it's something that has understood for so long. We yeah. today call it kind of a quantum 1.0, kind of the first revolution of quantum mechanics from the 20s of the 20th century. Um, and that's uh, many things like that, like uh, LEDs for light, most of light, mm-hmm. lighting today, uh, laser pointers and other lasers that are used for a lot of other applications, all of this, communications. Uh, Is there any chance that you can explain one of those in in, in you know, for something that we might be able to understand, like how how do the chips or the LEDs, yeah, how are they based what, on what, what, some principle that helps in a 
like uh, LEDs and, and many things that involve lights um, are are in the end something that have uh, some material that is based on electrons that are held together, held together, um, and make some kind of jump. The jump is something that you get when they actually fall in their energy level and emit a photon. And that translation of energy from electrons to photons, what we call light, is something we can explain by because of the rules of quantum mechanics. It's a discrete event where a single electron emits a single photon and loses energy and makes a shift inside a structure that describes this material. And, and how did they explain it before or they didn't? They didn't know the reason how it works. I would say LED as a light emitting diode is something that's new. More, more recent. Yeah. Today we don't think about it as new. But uh, before that, I mean, there were simpler theories um, for, for light absorption, for that you could scale things, but not uh, advanced enough to think mm-hmm. about devices that are, continu- that are today modern. So in a sense, all of this is, is quantum mechanics and its contribution to the world that we, we don't even think about today. And before we get to, to um, your second question, which is about does it explain all things in space and time, you, you mentioned quantum 1.0. What's quantum 2.0? Yeah, so I guess that's the thing that is that we're more excited talking about today because there is something happened that caused quantum to become a, a topic of discussion, right? We, are, we don't even know that we use it for 1.0. So what, is, what do I mean by quantum 2.0? Something over the last, let's say, 20, 30 years got a us to get interested again in quantum mechanics and rediscover or maybe discover substantial new things about it. And that is this, what we think about as the, quantum, the second quantum revolution. And it's, it is ideas like uh, entanglement, if you heard this word before, uh, which means that different particles can become connected in a, in, even though they are very far apart. So you can con- con- connect them in a way that will and then separate them to, let's say, two different uh, planets, and then apply on one, and it will alter the other right away. So those kinds of connections that are, it sound like sounds the, like a wormhole. It sounds like a wormhole, and actually some important people with a good ideas tried and still try some of them to explain this through wormholes. So maybe, although it's not considered So you take two particles, you bind them together, then you separate them, entangle them, entangle yeah. them then yeah. you separate them, but like twins that can always know each other's thoughts, they remain somehow connected, but we don't know yeah. how, why. Right, and Crazy. then people, <laughs> and then people, some, deba- some people That's will insane. argue whether we need to quantum mechanics to explain how uh, our brain works, or can you explain effects like, uh, I don't know, telepathy and other things with quantum mechanics. It is not or considered. Or Geller. Yeah, Uri Geller, <laughs> right? And there were, there were Events, quantum mechanics doesn't explain that. <laughs> so, so mainstream science doesn't see any reason to believe in in, in telepathy, right? Mm-hmm. And there is there is there, w- there was to the best of my knowledge some research financed trying to check that, and no, no event or no, nothing convincing on this. Um, it would be wonderful, right? Uh, but it's unlikely that it will be possible or based on quantum mechanics, because even if the particles are connected in some way, they still cannot transfer information, for example, faster than the speed of light. Even mm-hmm. though they will alter one another, and that's a, that's kind of it feels like a very tough um, situation to be at. They are connected. You alter one, it changes the right the other one right away. But you cannot use it to transfer information. But if you decide that turned on is one and turned off is zero, 
Maybe I'm 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 applying for the Schmidt. Uh, <laughs> if you decide that, in theory, yeah. you could. Uh, you, might get, you might get two and a half dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you could build a computer, maybe that would you know you write something in one side of the universe, and so, so you cannot. The okay. rules don't allow that. Yeah. No, you can you can Bobber. cause changes to, to transfer immediately, but not ones that will transfer information. And it mm-hmm. sounds pretty weird, but yeah. the, the rules are very precise, and, okay. it, and it's really beautiful. Uh, but it, but still, you can use them for different things. Uh-huh. Like when t- people talk today about quantum communications, for example, it's a there are already satellites that are actually using quantum communication to secure in- information transfer in a way that will not be possible to to crack by classical means. Mm-hmm. Not using uh, not using entanglement, but using yeah, other. They use entanglement for that. So there already. are applications that are relying on entanglement already. Hmm. You can argue whether wow. how important they are, but uh, there are Chinese satellites and communication channels relying on that. So entanglement is in use already. And when wow. you think about a quantum computer, which is the yeah. biggest hype and buzzword now, they also rely on entanglement and it's a critical aspect of it. So yeah, there is um, wow. a substantial use of, of entanglement now in more and more types of applications. And I think that's one of the things that got people to you know get attracted back into this field and really invent new things. And, so, yeah. and, and, and the major breakthrough, if I understand correctly, is just to, s- the speed of computational power and the, like, the speed of communication, like the, the, right? Or is it not, more than it's that? Not, it's not exactly the speed, no, it's... Um, complexity. In, there is some, something about the complexity or this s- space you can really check. Like a quantum computer has this weird property that you can check, um, you can run the same algorithm on every possible input at the same time. Right, if you th- want to have a, let's say you have a... a Isn't compu- that speed though? Because you could have technically done it by doing one and then the next, and then, but it would have taken eternity. And now yeah, you can do so them all can, at yeah, once. So you can say speed in the sense. It's space, it's, but it's space like affects yeah. speed. Okay. Yeah. Now it's not as simple and as amazing as it sounds. Yes, you can cause the quantum computer to run on every, um, every picture of a cat or a dog online at once to try to find out whether it's a cat or a dog, right? That's a, here, that's an important thing to do, I, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> to find the perfect TikTok video. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but the, computer will, w- the computer will actually execute it on every picture at once, but it will not tell you. It, getting the output out of that computer is really tough. And that's why comp- quantum computers are still quite limited in what they can actually promise us. And so uh, it'll, it'll get the answer, but it's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna share it with you. <laughs> I don't want to tell yeah, you. That's it's like, a, do you know the answer? I don't know. It <laughs> is hidden in the state, in the quantum state, but it's not necessarily that simple to extract it from the quantum state. So the algorithms we know how to make are the ones that are actually in very specific cases where we know how to extract useful information of, out of the quantum state. And, and those rules, again, to my question, um, they apply everywhere in the known universe? As far as we're concerned? Yeah. So back to space and time with quantum mechanics. So the best of our knowledge, they apply everywhere. Yes. So they started with with the universe, basically. Yeah. That's how we understand things today. Yes. And and even when we argue about like different theories that are still missing, right? There are things we don't know how to explain, like a dark matter and dark energy, things of that type that we don't know how to explain. Quantum every rule people try to develop almost always will be still abiding the postulates of quantum mechanics because we trust it that that much and it's an interesting thing there are some efforts to try to develop other variants of it yeah wow there's something like religious about it 
right? Like, nah, seven ishma, we will do and we will listen, right? They say about the the God's commandments to the people that like, you don't need to understand it. Just shut up and calculate. <laughs> yeah, you, you can say that. You know, it, it's, a, it's an interesting story that for, for many years, after the Second World War, uh, it was quantum mechanics became a kind of standard tool, and that's all. And then the idea is that let's try to doubt it, like try, let's try to modify it, became a kind of um, not mainstream, not, not needed, uh, looked look down upon. Um, and still in some places, and Israel was one of them, there were substantial research centers trying to, um, challenge. to challenge the the main theory of quantum mechanics, fine alternatives, like uh, Yakir Aronov from Tel Aviv University, or Lev Weidman, also from Tel Aviv University, are examples of researchers that worked on the foundations of quantum mechanics, even in, in years where it was not as, as uh, mainstream as it became today because of entanglement and quantum computers. And it's an interesting thing that Israel always held this uh, beacon of let's challenge it. Today, it's a much more mainstream thing to work in, the, in those areas. So what's the big things we we're oblivious about? Oblivious about, you mean in the like context we don't, of... Like, the big things we really don't know. In a context of... Uh, of in, you mean wider effort in, in physics? physics. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a big... What are the most important open questions in physics, right? Yeah. Well, so now every person will come from his or her field and say okay that's this is the most important one in a politics you say there's yeah. politics but I th- there are accepted problems like dark energy and dark, and, uh, dark mass but also like a, you know a superconductivity here is an interesting challenge that is closer to technology superconductors today are used in uh, mri machines um, but superconductors to to or and today also think thought about as part of uh, the um, backbone of train transportation if we want to get uh, trains levitate on magnetic fields so you can get less friction and have faster trains um, like but the Shenzhen like the, yeah, the, the bullet, bullet trains right? in Japan and now when you want to have a very strong magnetic field there or for MRI machines it's critical you at some point run into a point a problem that you cannot put that much current that creates the magnetic field the electric current uh, into the, the system be- be- before it heats up so you want to use a superconductor to keep it uh, not heating up that much to lower resistivity or in the future maybe to even build complicated uh, electric circuits and lower the loss because of resistivity in the entire electric grid and superconductors would be amazing for that but today they only work when the system is really uh, cooled down to super low temperatures and uh, some years ago there was this really amazing discovery that some certain very unusual superconductors still operate at relatively high temperatures so, mm. which is potentially important, especially if we find a way to push, push them up even further to our, our temperatures, room temperature, right? So like, you don't need to cool anything down. No one so far has a, a superconductor that can operate in normal conditions. Um, but yeah, and trying to understand how they operate, understanding the microscopic on the atomic level, what happens there, what causes them to work is, is really important because it will allow us to open a lot of areas of technology. So we use it, but we use it, but we don't know how it works. Yeah. In some places we use high TC <laughs> superconductors, high, t- high temperature superconductors that are in without knowing exactly how they work. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's really cool. Right. That's, that's <laughs> one of those things. It's, uh, yeah. Physics allows that. There to was happen. someone that used to work at Intel told me that they have, they have lasers that create uh, that create these ridges in the silicon that are so small that there's no microscope on Earth. It just kind of reminded me of it. there's no microscope on Earth that can that, see that it. can see and check if Confirm. it's act- if they did it right. 
they just they do it because well, it's like well, so actually that's that's an interesting challenge for for my lab because we we optics. develop we develop high-end microscopy and the best ones will not be optical microscopes they will not rely on light they will be electron microscopes right the electron microscopes can can look at that i i uh, bet yeah. they can and intel has a group even in Haifa, that is looking into that uh, that area. Was it true that at a given point in time they were making etches in in silicon that just that were just very didn't... hard to look into? But yeah. I I think that if they if they really wanted they could they have could. come to the Technion. We have an amazing microscopy center, and there is always a microscope. Yeah, I'm going to go back to this guy. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I want my money back. <laughs> <laughs> but but the output of your microscope. Um, how does it looks? It like, l- but it looks like a regular output of a microscope. But the way to achieve it is with with electrons instead of light. Yes. How does it work? That's a, well, the, um, there are generally two ways to use electrons to look into materials. One of them is called the scanning electron microscope, where you bring a, a beam of electrons that is focused to a tight point, and then you scan. You scan over point by point, like in the old TV screens. They were scanning with an electron beam actually on the screen to create an image very quickly. So it looks like it's per- a permanent image. So it's a scanning point by point, mm-hmm. and then electrons scatter and you collect them. And by how much of that scattered and how much the detector gets, you get how much uh, the color of each point. And it's a kind of black and white, um, but still gives you a very high resolution image. And then there is the even higher resolution microscopes called the transmission electron microscopes. Those rely on the electron beam becoming a wave you, you span it, so each electron is a wide wave. It can be tens of um, microns, which is millions of a, mil- of a meter. So it's a relatively large uh, electron beam. And then it goes through the sample you want to look at. And what you look at, at the, the camera is underneath. So you actually look at a kind of shadow mm. of this thing you want to look at. What electrons penetrated and what, what didn't. But we can't like see... Like a silhouette. We, we can't see atoms. Well, we can. Here's a, here is a good challenge. What's the smallest we can see with exactly. an electron microscope? It is getting better every year, and atoms are already within range. We even see smaller than atoms. We see distances between atoms, and in recent years, you can ask what's connecting the atoms. Right. Those are electrons that fly around and tie and bind the atoms together. We can see even the shape of the electron cloud that connect atoms. So yes, we can. Didn't they? Yeah, that is just mad. No, it's like you can get mad from you know. You can. How can you sleep at night after? (laughs) Because you just keep. You can keep getting smaller. So what's the smallest we could see? You can look. Didn't they discover that atoms are actually there's something smaller? There's a name quarks Quarks or whatever. Our first protons and neutrons building atoms, and then you can build a proton and a neutron from quarks. Yes, that's a. So a microscope that can look into the, to the nuclei, that is still beyond reach, but is something that within your lifetime people are thinking about, and there are ways to get smaller and smaller. But but I I like another dimension actually. Okay. Because you you we're always thinking about what's the smallest we can see in space, but what's about what what's the fastest we can see in time, Uh, what's the shortest. Like the fastest <sighs> movie you can make, right? How, because le- because well, electrons, you gotta have to rewind and explain that. What do you right, mean? What's the we're looking at atoms, right? And yeah. we we see how they are arranged and structured. But now imagine that the I mean something is happening FPS. there. FPS. What's right. the FPS? Yeah. What's the FPS? Right. Yeah. How fast? Are okay. So now you mm. you put current on the atom. Let's say we have a lithium battery. Right. Lithium ion battery is, is there is something happening when we we operate our smartphone. 
right? And the battery runs out gradually. Mm-hmm. So some, something moves inside. We want to see the motion of that something so mm-hmm. we can design a better battery. Right? The motion matters, right? Or when light gets absorbed into a, a plant and creates energy for that plant, photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. Well, something is happening there. How quickly does it happen? Or when, when we... Right, because, right, because basically FPS is frames per second. So our eye... At, I don't know, it's like, I guess... 48 or whatever, 24. Yeah, I, you can still tell the difference between like 120 hertz phones now are a thing, right? Beyond 120, you, yeah, you won't b- notice the difference. But, but motion has endless, I guess, frames per right. second. So imagine right? they have, you, you, there is a bullet uh, that is hitting some, I don't know, um, some apple and that breaks right. to pieces. There are movies like this online. Right. But you cannot see it with your eye, but you can have a, a really fast camera. Yeah. You have cinema uh, cameras that do, do, I don't know, 1,000 frames, frames per, per second. second. You can whatever. even get to a million yeah. frames per second if you want to see something super fast, like a bullet hitting uh, an apple and breaking it to pieces. Mm-hmm. But, so there will be a million frames per second and will be sufficient. to You'll slow it down and you'll see a movie in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And But that's still, I mean, millions of frames per second. It's not enough. It's not enough for us. We do way more than that. Um, so we, because we a second has endless milli or microseconds or whatever right. inside it, right? Right. Basically. So, so as frame, a rate which we will call a millionth frame per second means we are looking into the microsecond, one millionth of a second mm-hmm. as our frame rate. But that's still pretty Not slow enough. for if you want to see things like uh, electrons flowing in materials, right? What will be the rate of electrons flowing in materials? So a millionth of a millionth of a second will be a, a good time scale for effects like uh, electrons flowing. So it's Ele- a millionth in the square of, I'm not a mathematician. Right, a millionth times a million, or what we call a, right, a, what's the 10 to the 12? The, ter- the tera, right? The giga is the, uh, yeah. is, the, is the billion, so that one after is the tera. Right. Like when we say terabyte. So that's, so that's the, the goal, we're not there yet. Well, it depends. So if you want to look at how light flows, that's even faster. Then we care about resolution on the scale that is a thousand times faster than that. Um, so a million times a million times a thousand. And we, we're doing that. Oh, what's a thousand And now more? we're developing another <laughs> thousand after that. So we'll have million, million, million. <sighs> right? And that, that scale lets you see things like, for example, light motion. How light flows inside the tiny In elements. Space. How light flows inside tiny elements. <laughs> we, we do that. And w- That's we, incredible. So, and, and what we, do we deduce from it? Nothing. It just looks really cool. Uh, yeah, we drink so champagne. The perfect TikTok video. <laughs> I imagine. I imagine. <laughs> I imagine like there's a cinema. There's a nerdy cinema in the Technion where all the nerds come and they just eat popcorn and watch lights in one million. They're like that was so <laughs> worth that two and a half million. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. <laughs> so, so seeing things that are super fast is yeah, uh, curiosity is is legit is important, yeah. right? It pushes yeah. you to things you didn't think about. So, for example, we were doing this this interesting experiment to try to create uh, but if you think that's fast it's nothing like watching eight and eating a burger that's like the (laughs) fastest (laughs) scale (laughs) (laughs) sorry go on no but i mean we are we are looking into things that are super fast and then it causes us to realize uh, to realize things you didn't expect okay uh, to improve to, to develop new technology like we have patents that exist appeared because of basically mistakes in the lab where we tried to image things, like uh, there is something called terahertz fields. Terahertz field is an area of light that is not radio waves and it's not visible light, it's not infrared, it's something in, somewhere in between that is relatively unexplored and has enormous potential. 
like to look into the human body, to do security scanners that are better and more, more efficient and not dangerous. There are, there are reasons to develop that area of technology and we worked for that. We tried to find a, a, an electron microscope technique that will enable us to image how terahertz field evolve and that's super fast. And then we found that it actually acts back on the electron and improves the electron microscope. So now we can imagine an, uh, to improve the technology of electron microscopes because of an experiment. So those are the kind of things that you can never plan. And I, wow. I, I think that's... So maybe let's get yeah, to, to the two and a half million. So you, you f first of all, tell us maybe how you uh, found out about the two and a half million and what was your reaction? Did you you listened to our episode from last year. <laughs> with, what's, what's, uh, with, with the, the dead. With, with the, the dead, yeah, yeah. With the little I, I and he was like, oh. him on this. He's no, but I meant, how did you find out that you were <laughs> awarded? Ah, okay. Well, okay. That, actually, it's an interesting thing because it comes in an email. The, the, the Shmi... <laughs> the, sh <laughs> the spam. Because it's Google. <laughs> it's Google. Yeah. It's two and a half million. They're like, just send him an email. Hey, it's Eric Schmidt spam. <laughs> it, it's, it's actually amazing how the, this, this thing works because it's, it's not like any grant I ever, I ever, I ever saw. It really is. Uh, they basically go and ask for applicants from every big university on earth. Um, and still they somehow, and then they, they run this super complex uh, process of, of filtering people out where they ask for uh, many recommendation letters and advice from experts and something larger than any were anything I saw. Um, and, and still eventually it's an email, right? It's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing, right? Because they, they run this kind of super open-ended and their, their thing is that it's completely flexible. Right? They ask you to, the, the only rule for submission is that you cannot be on things you're an expert at. Like I can, couldn't write about quantum or about microscopy. I, All the things we just discussed were out of... Out of scope for mm -hmm. the application. You have to show that you can suggest something wild. So what did you suggest? Is, and I, I suggested uh, developing algorithms artificial intelligence algorithms to try to help us find what directions of research are worthy and will be the most important and worth pursuing wow. in, in, in a wide sense and also focusing on fundamental physics and mathematics, but asking algorithms to help us do that. And I, I think this is a, it, it's not a very standard thing to do. Maybe that's part of what got them interested. Um, and, uh, and there are reasons why this is exciting. I mean, we, we want to have a computer that will tell us oh, that's the best direction to go at. Right, to, that's what we should try. Um, so we, is it doable, though? <laughs> in some like, proof of concepts, yeah, I, I think so. How would you approach building such AI? So I generally would like to have that AI for anything in life, right? What's uh, my? Yeah. Who will be my uh, forever after? Should I date? <laughs> yeah. My wife. My wife likes to say that whatever she recommends, I do the opposite. Yeah. So maybe That's a good algorithm. <laughs> she's an anti-supercomputer. So yeah. So maybe I would love to have this, but I think she would think that if I had this, I would just choose the, whatever the, whatever it recommended. I would choose the I, opposite. I mean, uh, just we we need to be kind of humble and, and just re recall that we already have <laughs> algorithms like that. Yeah. We, we don't drive on a highway to the in, in tra at least traffic hours without asking for an, al an algorithm to tell us where to go, yeah. Yeah. right? And there are many things like that. Like we are quite happy with the Google results, which is based on the heavy AI when we search things online. But what does it, because you know, <laughs> and jokes aside, I really do sometimes, what drives me, I, I pro I'm sure subconsciously, is like, I don't want to be told what to do. And I think every taxi driver is a testament to the fact that when, <laughs> like, there's something yeah. in the human spirit that wants to make those decisions on their own, right? You get into a taxi Even in Israel, if you fail and they refuse to put ways, 
right. you're like, why aren't you putting ways? And the taxi driver's like, no, don't worry. I know. I know. <laughs> and then you get stuck in traffic. Yeah. So what does it mean for us as humans? You know, like we're not going to be able to make decisions to anymore. To a point where you, well, you will be because you can always decide to refuse the right to not to follow the advice of the AI. You can always do that. But it's, it's, it feels a bit funny to go against the recommendation which, which you learn to trust. This is why we trust ways. Um, so, well, what, what does it mean to us? As, uh, I mean, we like to have ways, right? We like to mm -hmm. have it also recommending directions to, to pursue or what's the best product to buy. That will be excellent if we really trust an algorithm doing that. Right. So why not, why not in bigger and more complicated questions? Like what is the right direction to invest money in when we want to think about the right direction to I don't know, help cure cancer or yeah. fight global warming? We would like to have an algorithm to tell us those things as well. Right? And it's just that no one knows how to do that in full. But then in areas, in some areas, like in mathematics, in physics, the, the rules of the game are more, more clear. And mm -hmm. I think that there you you could develop an algorithm like that. With, I mean, it's not easy, but it, it's more feasible. And we, we tried some of that in, in mathematics, in areas that relate to mathematical constants. So there are formulas that give you constants, famous ones like pi, right? Like uh, the golden ratio. There are other, other famous constants like Feigenbaum constant and the Euler's constant. Those are f famous numbers that are important in mathematics. And we asked an algorithm to help us find formulas for them. And that's something we, we, we can do. This is something we already showed possible. So we, we, this gave us confidence that we can take this into new areas. And then try to, I mean, if you think about it bigger, we would like to have an algorithm helping us do research, tell us what direction to follow. So in some places that may be possible, that, or at least as a tool to help you. You can always decide to ignore it, right? It's but how do, you, <laughs> how do you, I mean, I'm assuming you have to train it with data from the past you train it with past data and then you give it a goal and you give it some constraints like what the here the the goal would be truth right mm -hmm. right that's an in, right so isn't that in mathematics the go the goal will be truth and uh, finding a formula that is satisfied and the data will be in our in our case it's really the, the digits if you think about pi right the digits of pi uh, is it a random set of digits or is it something very like very ordered it's a is there a rule for telling you what's the next digit digit of pi people mm. tend to say that it's randomic but uh, it's actually not because we know how to calculate it so there is a formula for pi already otherwise we wouldn't be able to calculate billions of digits of it so there is data that's the basic data. And unlike every other area, probably, in, in machine learning and in AI, this data is clean. We call it the ground truth. Mm -hmm. It's a clean set of data that we can rely on when we build algorithms. And that's, in, in a sense, making it so, somewhat different from other areas of research in this field. Um, so, wow. so, yeah, we have the data and it's quite and clean. Then, and then eventually on to less structured data, like medical research and things like that. You think that it could be applied in those, in those fields? eventually yeah and in, in some ways it is already attempted in different places hmm. like uh, people take uh, data from uh, uh, bio information in different places where you'd have a gazillion um, tons of data that you can try to search not just for something you asked but try to develop an algorithm that finds some rules some repetitions some patterns and those patterns can help you identify a direction to, to study 
So this is the kind of thing that we are starting to ask AI to do for us. So how do you use the money to, because I guess since you don't deal with those things, your lab isn't trained to, right, to right, create AI. So you basically use the money to hire talent to help you accomplish those goals. Yeah, it's mostly like you use talent. 100K yeah. and the, the rest you pocket. I'm just <laughs> you kidding. You cannot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's only for research. And it's, but in many ways, it's like a startup company that relies uh -huh. heavily on salaries as, as the main thing, yeah. Uh -huh. They hire talent. And, you know, it's, in a sense, I, I like the, uh, the way physics works in this because physics, the lab, it makes, a, it gives us kind of a place to collect uh, creativity around it. Mm-hmm. It helps you in two ways. One is that it gives you experimental results. It means nature can surprise you. And there, there is, like, surprise you, it forces you to be more creative, to get things that you will never get on your own computer or a piece of paper with a pen. It, it forces you to be more creative because it gives you experimental results that you couldn't expect. Yeah. And that cre drives creativity. But it also makes a group form around the lab is like a place for people to to exchange ideas to fight and argue about them in israel especially so we have this culture that is really open and i'm, I'm when i go into mathematics and play with ai in this i i try to work the same way we we bring really amazing students working with us that uh, and also people like with with phds to or people from the industry that are just interested in this and we form this community the, the project we started around this that runs now for a few years is called the Ramanujan machine. Uh, Ramanujan was a, an Indian mathematician that uh, was famous for his untraditional approach to mathematics. He was uh, the one that didn't learn in any formal system. So and then he had to reinvent a lot of things. And when he came to make discoveries, he made them without providing proofs. So he was considered kind of an outsider for the math community for many years. But then when he made those discoveries, it, it, still to this day people follow and try to prove things that he came up with and I, I think this is one of those wonderful things that are outside of, of academia that can be substantial so the Ramanujan machine is our kind of attempt to bring a computer to be our experimental lab in mathematics to surprise us with the results that we didn't expect and mm. it's and that's the kind of thing that we work around we develop algorithms to bring us surprising results um, and then they drive our research they drive our directions of research so that's uh, and, wow. and how long has the lab existed now? Like when was the award? The award was was granted now. now? Yeah. So you just now. so you're yeah. just building the lab now, and you guys are going to continue the work on yeah. on this Romano job. That's R what Romanojan. 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 is a and it's it, so when you say the lab, so our electron microscopy lab. Yeah. And X-ray lab, which we can discuss, the labs that are, let's call them physics oriented, uh, are running since 2018 um, and involving uh, our X-ray lab is more recent. Um, the, the Ramanujan machine project is, is more, um, it ran in parallel, but it was not around a real lab, right? The biggest thing there that you can call a lab is that there is now an algorithm that runs online. Everyone can download and, and contribute. People run it on their own computers. Um, and it's like uh, uh, mining for bitcoins, I guess. They mine for formulas, for mathematical formulas, and bring us uh, formulas to, like, they help discover formulas. So this is a community that provides those surprises for us. But it's not a real lab that builds in a, in a special location. But this is where you're going to invest the two and a half million, the Ramanujan? Around the Ramanujan machine part of it, but yeah. also okay. in taking those ideas outside of mathematics. 
We, okay. we go for physics, for fundamental questions in physics, in trying to combine quantum mechanics with other fields. Like uh, there, is, there are big open questions about how to combine quantum mechanics with gravity. Like the two areas that Einstein worked on, if you like, and never worked together mm-hmm. to this day, is one of those amazing problems that Hunt, uh, it's maybe considered the most important problem in physics, and still uh, applying AI in that area is relatively uh, a young field. Can you explain what's, why it's the most, this, what it, why it's the, most uh, bi- the biggest problem? In, in some sense, the, uh, you want to combine all laws of physics to, to a single unified theory. That will mean that you really understand things. The theory of everything. Yeah, the theory of everything is, is it right. And Einstein was saying, or at least quoted for saying, who knows if he really said that, that he wants a theory that you can put on a on a t-shirt, right? That will that it could be nice, explain. short and and powerful. Mm-hmm. So a theory that combines today quantum mechanics and gravity, that the two, they, they it doesn't work. It doesn't combine well. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a so a we big can't question. use quantum mechanics to explain gravity. No, we and don't know the way to. we explain gravity. Can we explain gravity? We today? have a theory of gravity, and this is the thing that's attributed to Einstein. But it doesn't correlate with no. quantum mechanics. Now to combine them is is a good goal. Um, whether AI can do it? Well, that's a tough, uh, that's <laughs> a big, challenging, crazy question. But there are things that happened in recent years, in the last about year and a half. There are uh, three groups around the world that, co- that contributed with papers that automate some of the machinery that's needed to uh, ask those questions. So, but I, I'm try- so this, is quantum mechanics not good enough to explain the, the uh, observations that we have around gravity? Meaning before mm-hmm. I thought we said that, qu- that quantum mechanics explains everything. So can't we just <laughs> throw gravity out the window and say quantum mechanics it is? Well, quantum mechanics, it is for everything we, we try to use it for. And then we suddenly uh, try to explain how GPS works. And we need to explain the uh, small time dilations of the satellites that are part of the GPS system. And there, there is an effect there that requires gravity. And we don't know how to use quantum mechanics to do the same thing. Mm. Like to build gravity from quantum mechanics. You can imagine something like that. So people try, try that. They also try to just combine them in some legitimate way but then they get contradi- and we get contradictions okay and that's, but there that's is hole th- there are holes in quantum mechanics then Th- there, there are, are holes things. in our understanding of nature yeah right it's not like you if you take quantum mechanics as is it's good for wherever it extends and there are no contradictions there but once you try to combine it with other things that are not like compatible with it then it, then it fails meaning right? there are phenomenon phenomena that exist in the universe that are not explainable through quantum mechanics like yeah. this for are, example yeah. the i'm not exactly yeah. sure what you said satellites sending something the, the messages getting right scrammed yeah we can think about it a bit about how gps works but or the it, latency it, you're saying yeah, yeah. In, okay. in, in quake it's a satellite and there is some latency and there are yeah. they collect some signals and from that several of them explainable through quantum mechanics. no not the quantum mechanics alone yeah so it's not a kind of thing that explain all Right, I and, see. and science is not like that normally. Yeah. But finding a unified theory that would be able to explain all would be wonderful. We we are not really close to that. So, is it too late for us to study physics and join the team? That's uh, for the Ramanujan machine project. I think you could. I mean, there are ways to oper- to contribute to it by <laughs> running it on your computer. But oh. if you want to play play more, then uh, like, like, like block algorithms. Let's say if yeah. you ask the algorithm, <laughs> that's supposed to no. give you recommendations. <laughs> it would say there is absolutely no universe <laughs> yeah. in which either of you could be 
contributing to this project yeah. in a positive people, way people from the because this project has some visibility people contribute to it from many different countries and write online suggest run the algorithms find out things and not all of them have the most traditional university education necessarily or so so there are there are ways i uh, Yes, I would say that it's not hard. It's not easy, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> he's a, he's a, like an answer of a politician. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Anyone can join. You can join. You can join. We should get more. Fi- what do you think about that? That's a good last question. Should there be more physicists in politics? <laughs> no. I don't know. I don't know. I thought you were going to ask. My, dad is a, my dad's a mathematician, and he mm-hmm. always... You know, he always complained about how much politics there is in academia. So I feel like maybe physicists, maybe academics could make good politicians now. <laughs> you know, why the, the debates are so fierce. Yeah. You know, because the stakes no, are so low. No, but you low. know, in the, in the, the actual, like, in the, in the academia, like in, in, in the, you know, who chairs the boards and who sits in different, who gets For, tenure. Who forms the labs. Who forms the labs, who gets this, who gets that. Like, there is so much politics, no? I, I guess there is politics Does everywhere. it get in the way of the science? There is politics everywhere, and it, and it could. I, I, I really like Israel in that sense, that I, I got here, got back from MIT for a, for a faculty position in Technion, and I, because, partially because people really care. You, can, you know that you, you can take risks, and peop- someone will have your back. So yeah, I guess there is politics everywhere. Also, when is, you're you can you can do more with the politics we have here than in most other places. Mm. When you're two meters high and you have uh, the body of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who would tell you no? <laughs> you know, that's also <laughs> in academia. I don't think it matters that much. Oh uh, no! If you come with a I don't know, with a crazy idea, with crazy vision, and you and an idea how to do it, then some people, people will, will follow. Will follow. Yeah, that's. It's what makes it so I, fun. I was thinking Eitan's last question would be, um, do we need more physics uh, students? Hmm. Well, generally, I think people, everyone thinks about computer science these days because it's yeah. still so. And, and still, you will find that many of the people that started big companies and made substantial contributions came with a physics understanding and, and still learned how to do the stuff needed in computer science. So it's, it's a very useful uh direction of education to come with and I, and with things that are now happening like quantum computers becoming more substantial into technology gradually is uh will will need more physics education yeah and that's wow that uh, i mean i think that there is there is a way to think about it in a you know we, we think about labs and we try to imitate it with with computer algorithms but in the end having experimental labs that are that are powerful is is a, is a way to create new ideas to innovate i think it's it's a powerful uh it's a powerful trigger for like ideas testing ideas and the, the fact that like for, for me personally the fact that technion invested in uh in me as a in, in my lab in in building a very unusual experimental setup that was expensive and complicated to build is it allows a lot of things it, it creates a lot of ideas. It's really a, becoming a center for innovation, for patents, for for things like that. And that's one one thing that we it's not wasn't that trivial in Israel to do that in the past. We we had a, always those debates on can we do experiments abroad? Why invest so much money in doing it in Israel, where we can just fly out and do the same experiment in a lab built in Germany or the U.S.? Why why do it here? 
and why not just pay for the flight ticket it's way less, i mean not as much and money it's cheaper to do it there and i think uh, covid made us realize that there is an important importance to have this stuff here right right and still and also it, it makes ideas happen so we are mm-hmm. thinking now about what will be the future dream labs that will be kind of the f- big facilities abroad but on the israeli scale more modular faster more flexible it will be uh, places for ideas to to form and i think that's we need physics for that as well because it, it will drives more ideas in other areas of science in other areas of engineering and technology professor ido kaminer thank you so much for coming it was really inspiring and mind-boggling really? you know i have a lot, a lot of food for thought um you're on social media you can look uh, look us up uh you can look uh, up our lab our oh. lab is at quanta at quanta uh and we we publish things we uh, we advertise some of the work we do as uh, science work so the handle uh, is at at quanta is a d q u a n t a okay and um, it, it, you, that's the that's the website there's a website there's a twitter account like what do you guys yeah, yeah you we have a the group website is for uh, work for the you know to see who the students are the real people that do the work mm-hmm. um to see what papers we published what talks we gave and you can see online uh, and recently there is also a twitter and linkedin for that my that my group started to write more about what we actually do um so you can follow us there and also i'm happy to have people coming with with crazy ideas and creating interesting collaborations we have people working with us from all over the world and it's, it's what's fun about academia that's awesome it's a, Awesome. amazing thank you so much for coming really appreciate it and good luck in the initiative guys if you like what we do please support us go to patreon.com slash twinjb and uh yeah join the the club yeah br eric schmidt yeah <laughs> and uh rate us on spotify give us five stars yeah, or one so star if you think we suck and that is it thank you professor thank you so much thanks guys bye, bye. guys bye.